For transgender kids and their families, access to individualized treatment can be hard to find. Welcome to the GW HealthCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're speaking with Dr. Jerry Chow. He's an assistant professor of plastic surgery at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences and is affiliated with George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Chow, explain a little bit about transgender care in this country and how it's typically been treated. On average, how many kids struggle with their identities? Sure. Um, that's, uh, it's a challenging question because a lot of studies have conflicting numbers in terms of epidemiology. So um, it's, studies range from a, you know, um, incidence of anywhere from 1 in 10,000 to 100 and 1 in 200,000 uh, individuals who may experience gender dysphoria. Now, um, it's important to know that gender dysphoria itself is a very broad uh, spectrum, um, and it's a broad spectrum of ways in which uh, individuals express their gender identity. Um, so, in general, it refers to any sort of discomfort that an individual feels which is related to a discrepancy between their gender identity and that uh, gender that was assigned at birth. And a lot of the uh, manifestations in that and treatment of that may be related to physical appearance. So um, the approach to to treatment really starts um, with... with uh, uh, a multidisciplinary group, which includes uh, primary care physicians, psychiatrists, uh, mental health professionals. Um, so uh, w- when the patient uh, comes and sees me for surgery, that's usually uh, at a later stage uh, in, the, in the transition process when the patient's really kind of made the commitment to uh, living at, as that, um, as that uh, new gender. Tell us a little bit about the cultural shift, Dr. Chow, that's, that's catapulted the need for these types of services that you're discussing today. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the um, changes in healthcare um, availability to transgender individuals. And a lot of that changed around uh, 2010 with the Affordable Care Act. Before that, a lot of gender-affirming surgeries, which refer to any surgery that's, uh, that's used to um, or performed to treat gender dysphoria. Before that, a lot of these surgeries were uh, paid out of pocket um, by the individual seeking these treatments. And there are many studies that have been, that have been performed that show uh, significant improvements in, and, uh, in quality of life and ability to integrate socially um, after undergoing gender-affirming surgery. Now, um, with the Affordable Care Act, there have been there's there's language that uh, prohibits any discrimination in uh, obtaining equivalent treatment from by any healthcare uh, entity that receives federal funding, um, which is the language is somewhat broad. So in, insurance companies have differing ways that they uh, they. Um, Offer these these uh, services to to their to their members, but because uh, the healthcare um, and insurance world has been changing so much over the past decade or so, that's allowed broader access to um, things such as gender affirming surgery. So that's why it's an exciting time in the field of plastic surgery, and uh, it's. Um, you know, knowledge and uh, um, of of these services and and uh, you know research into ways to to offer these services better to uh, gender dysphoric individuals has been really uh, skyrocketing over the last five to ten years. 
Is there an ideal age at which patients should be seen by a specialist, such as yourself, as being crucial to their emotional well-being? And what are some of the challenges that you see most often? The uh, the question of age is a, is a tricky one, and I think that uh, there's um, there you know one of the the considerations um, by the uh, by WPATH or the World Professional Association for Transgender Health uh, their uh, standards of care is that uh, uh, patients should um, for is, as a surgical criterion should be of of majority age in that particular uh, country. Um, uh, Prior to, or be able be able to consent. Now, um, in terms of when uh, you know that process has started, you know there are individuals who may feel uh, have feelings of gender dysphoria early on um, during adolescence or or puberty, and um, often those patients do get um, uh, uh, see you know um, mental health professionals and psychotherapists for for help with that social um, transition aspect. Then tell us a little bit about the assessment and treatments that are offered to patients, and tell us a little bit about facial feminization surgery. What does it aim to do? So facial feminization surgery is um, is a it's really not just one surgery, but it's a it's a broad spectrum of surgeries that are aimed to uh, change. Um, uh, Typically, masculine facial characteristics to to feminine characteristics. Now um, that that the goal of that those surgeries or all these facial feminization surgeries is to allow that to number one allow that uh, that individual to feel um, that their uh, physical appearance more matches their gender identity, uh, as well as to allow them to to integrate um, into society more seamlessly and to be able to uh, to pass. Um, you know when we see people uh, for the first time or meet anyone for the first time, um, there are you know hundreds of signals that our brains process that that tell us whether um, an individual has a masculine or a feminine appearing face, and we make that um, that decision subconsciously whenever we meet an individual. So um, you know the one of the challenges for um, for uh, patients who have gender dysphoria um, is is uh, is that if they is unfortunately in our culture, um, if someone is identified as trans, there's, there can be stigma and associated with that, and that person may be subject to harassment. Um, so you know these surgeries can often have a very significant impact on uh, that person's quality of life. Now, those surgeries themselves can range from soft tissue surgery, such as skin, um, and uh, uh, bony surgery, so alterations of the underlying facial skeleton. Now, research has shown that one of the most important areas um, to feminize the face is the uh, the brow region, um, and that's because the feminine brow is softer and flatter, and um, men have more prominent of a sinus or a frontal sinus in that area, which uh, contributes to more uh, prominence along that that brow bone region. So one of the um, most important surgeries to feminize the face is reduction of that brow bone. Um, now, other types of surgeries um, uh, include, you know, making the the, the nose uh, more feminine via a rhinoplasty or um, alterations of the positions of the cheekbone, um, tapering and softening the chin or jawline. Um, as well as, uh, I guess, more more common types of procedures such as uh, injecting fillers into the lips to to give them a more feminine appearance. But um, like I said, there you know, facial feminization surgery is a very broad spectrum of procedures. 
And, you know, it's it's a really individualized approach whenever a, a new patient comes to see me about that. Well, there are so many areas that we could discuss, Dr. Chow, but what is this like for the patient? And as we're talking about facial feminization surgery, kind of stick with that. But what is all of this like for the patient and their families to go through? What is recovery like? And and how are all of your multidisciplinary team involved in helping along the way? Well, I work closely with um, uh, multi-specialty clinics focused on uh, helping the transgender population in the area, and um, that uh, really helps me with um, uh, with uh, facilitating and uh, and um, identifying the patients who are uh, psychologically prepared and have have really made that commitment to uh, to living in 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 this uh, gender identity. Um, so, you know, in terms of um, you know the whole whole process. I you know I think it starts with managing expectations. Um, the the patients have usually been on hormonal therapy, um, often for a period of about a year, which helps with certain aspects of the uh, of feminizing the face and the head region, such as the hair distribution and the skin softness. However, there's a lot that hormonal therapy is is uh, limited in in uh, in improving or feminizing, and uh, you know the the what, in surgery, um, I'll, I'll admit, it also has its limitations, and uh, there are certain expectations that that need to be um, really laid out for for patients in in what is realistic, um, realistically achievable with surgery. And um, and I think once those those are in place, then I think the patients do very well um, and have very good surgical outcomes in terms of when their the surgical outcome matches, um, you know, a, a realistic expectation. As we wrap up, tell the listeners what you'd like them to take away from this segment on transgender medicine in general, and and how do you offer support for the parents and the family as well? Kind of wrap it up with what you would like them to know about this field of medicine and what you do. Well, what I would uh, what I, what I would like uh, patients and and, uh, and families to know is that um, there is um, there are. Uh, they, they don't need to feel alone. Um, I think it can be very, um, you know, hard to for some individuals to find um, physicians who they feel comfortable and um, uh, who they feel equipped to, to take care of them. So, you know, patients may come and see me or other uh, surgeons who, who perform gender affirming surgery from from far away, and uh, I think. That's a lot of that has to do with lack of uh, access to experienced uh, surgeons or or physicians. So um, I would like them to know that there are um, physicians and surgeons who 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 really have a um, a strong interest and passion for helping uh, helping this community um, and improving their quality of life. Great information. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise in explaining this field of medicine and the various options and treatments for transgender individuals. Thank you again. You're listening to the GW HealthCast. Please visit gwdocs.com to get connected with Dr. Chow or another provider, or you can call 1-888-4GW-DOCS to schedule an in-person or virtual appointment. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in today.